Welcome to episode 52 of The Photo Show with our guest Michael Camber from the Bronx Documentary Center. Yeah, if you guys haven't been up there, it was, it was my first time. I think yours too, Michael, and it mm-hmm. was an incredible space to go see. And uh, we, were, we were really lucky to go there earlier this summer, and uh, we recorded this uh, upstairs in the Hetherington Library, right? Yeah, the uh, according to... Um, Michael, the only free photo library um, that you can go to with just a make just by making an appointment, and it, it actually is a, a fantastic room. There's a the, there's books from floor to ceiling, and I actually just saw on their I think Instagram account that they were given a, a large donation of books. So it's a great resource center. Yeah, and I said Hetherington because it's part of, there's two separate memorials to Tim Hetherington there. One is uh, a nice display on the first floor in the gallery space. And then the uh, upstairs library that I just mentioned was started initially with his book collection. And uh, uh, Michael goes into a, a very touching story about the origins of the Bronx Documentary Center and how Tim Hetherington was actually a, a really important part of that. Yeah, and we have a, a really great discussion about the origins of the Bronx Documentary Center, along with its mission. And, you know, speaking with Michael, you, you really sense his energy and his sort of passion for um, the importance of photojournalism and, and how he feels like, you know, photography shouldn't be... Um, an elitist, expensive, you know, occupation. It shouldn't be something that you need to pay a whole lot of money for, for education. And that's a big part of the mission there. Yeah. And speaking of which, I think you've got the list of some of the upcoming things they're doing, right? Well, in order to make it affordable, (laughs) um, they're actually having (laughs) a, uh, their third annual photo auction benefit um, with a lot of great uh, photographers, internationally renowned photographers have donated their work to the auction, and that is on October 26th at 7 p.m. They also have a uh, you know some more shows and events coming up, and you can see all of that at BronxDoc.org, and that's all one word, BronxDoc. After you listen to this episode, you're going to understand like how passionate they are about the mission and and being part of the neighborhood, and uh, you know I think it's a great thing to support. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, other events that are coming up related to uh, previous guests on the the show. Uh, Daylight Books, the publisher, is having their fall 2017 book launch this Thursday, September 7th. And here's where the loops start closing in on our uh, people we've spoken to. Hmm. The event itself is at Penumbra Foundation uh, on 36 East 30th Street. And of course, you guys remember when we went there. And uh, one of the books coming out is a book called Next of Kin, which is work by Inbal Abergel, who was, I think, like third or fourth guest, something like that, on, mm-hmm. on uh, the photo show. Uh, that work uh, was first seen at the Baxter Street Camera Club of New York, and you probably remember we had Libby Pratt on from uh, Baxter Street you know, at many episodes ago as well. So it's a, a real family event for us. Yeah, I know. We're, uh, we're making this nice big uh, circle of, uh, of photographers and friends, and you know, it's exactly what you know, we were hoping for with the, with the podcast. So that, that's fantastic. And also from our previous guests, uh, Charles Traub, is getting some nice press on some work he made called Dolce Via, Italy in the 1980s. Um, that was published in 2014, and the, the first edition has sold out. Uh, I'm wondering, because of all the press, if there's another edition coming out, but uh, I haven't seen news of that. Uh, either way, if you follow him on Facebook, Charles H. Traub, you can see a lot of those uh, great photographs. So Great. Well, we're uh, heading into the fall, so there's 
the beginning of the season of many interesting things going to be coming up. And uh, we uh, hope we run into some of you actually out there in the real world. Yeah. So uh, I know you'll be at the, the book launch, the book signing uh, for Imbal, and I'm definitely going to try to be there. So maybe we'll see a few people there. But yeah, this is the busy season coming up. Absolutely. Uh, all right, everyone. We'll enjoy the show and uh, we'll talk soon. to look at the show. How do you pronounce the photographer who's up right now? Osartan Ugyagbe. Okay. And so that's a a mix of photos from both the Bronx and from Africa? Yeah, from Nigeria. And is, is that a, it's a kind of emblematic of sort of the way of tie, the, the way you'd like to tie mixed cultural ideas together? Uh, I think it was more about, um, I mean, Osartan is a guy who walked in the door here three, four years ago, not having taken a picture and started coming to our free, you know, adult photo class and and photographing around the neighborhood um, and just, you know, got hooked on it. Um, But I think it's also emblematic of where the Bronx is going, where the neighborhood's going. Um, You know, we've got a huge uh, influx of West Africans, um, you know, literally on our block. And a lot of our kids that we teach are West Africans. So it's it's sort of the the direction that that the community is moving in and we thought it was a good fit. Yeah, it's an amazing show. I was this the way even the way it's hung, it's some of the pairs um, are unexpected, but then mm-hmm. a lot of them what part of the joy of it maybe is that as you're looking through it's not immediately clear on some of the photographs like where they're made, right? You know, right. It's like that's part of the Right. Yeah, there's this this give and take between between the Bronx and Africa. Yeah. Um, which is which is what's happening. Yeah, it's you incredible. Know, very emblematic. But um you know, also, I mean, his his uh, theme, his personal theme is really, you know, he's dealing as an artist with um, ideas around dislocation and identity and coming here and not quite being an American, then going back to Africa and people saying, oh, you're not really an African anymore, you know. So, oh, yeah. you know, it, it's it's interesting. The um, he's He came here as a teenager, so he's like a lot of people, you know, they're, they're caught in these dual identities and that can be beautiful and also difficult. Mm-hmm. And then you just came uh, up from a service that you were photographing for a slain police officer right. here in the Bronx. Right? Yeah, yeah. A Dominican woman, uh, I believe she was 43 years old, the mother of three. And uh, she was killed. I'm sorry, she was 48 years old. Yeah, mother of three. She was, she was killed last week and um, basically assassinated, you know, just shot point blank, uh, not too far from here. Right. We've had a lot of shootings of police officers Mm. Uh, in our neighborhood in the recent the last few years and are you still working professionally as a photojournalist then was that i'm, I'm not i'm okay. really not no i'm working on i mean i've been doing a 30-year project on the bronx you know i started photographing in the bronx in um in 1986 i think and so i've got um you know a large and growing body of work and i'm trying to com- bring that to some type of completion that makes sense mm. Yeah, I thought when I saw you come through the door with the Rolleiflex that you probably weren't uh, out uh, <laughs> right. publishing Shooting for the times. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. No, it's it's not a great camera when you're on uh, on deadline. Yeah, <laughs> I can't uh, I can't transmit through my iPhone. With yeah, that. exactly. No Wi-Fi sync to the yeah, uh, no. Rolleicord. But your work on the Bronx then is you are doing 
newsworthy items, but I imagine then you're also uh, just roaming around and photographing. I mean, how, what's the um, what's at the heart of the idea for the this all this work? Well, I was hoping you could tell me. I'm not really <laughs> too sure. Uh, I think a lot of it is about how the Bronx is changing. You know, it's it's a time of just extraordinary um, sort of tumult and it. The borough is just kind of, the, certainly the southern part of the, the borough is really churning. You know, it's just, um, there's tons of new people coming in. There's um, massive rezonings. There's places that have been industrial for literally, you know, 100 years that are suddenly, there's tall residential buildings going up. It, it's, it's really quite extraordinary. And there's also, you know, as I said before, just, I lived here in the 80s and it was, really a Puerto Rican community with a small, well, a smaller African-American population. A few, a few Dominicans, I remember meeting Dominicans once in a while, but, you know, I remember very clearly when the first um, Mexican uh, moved into our neighborhood. That was a big deal. Everybody wow. was, was kind of stunned. It was like, the Mexicans go to Los Angeles. What's this guy doing here in our <laughs> neighborhood? We've never known a Mexican. Today, there's probably, you know, 100,000 Mexicans in, in the South Bronx. You wow. know, it's just yeah. a huge, huge uh, Mexican community, massive West, West African community. You know, people coming in from Queens, Brooklyn, uh, Europeans starting to come in. I mean, it's just, it's it's unprecedented. I mean, mm. it's, it's really unprecedented. I don't think anything like this has happened since probably the early part of the 1900s. I remember in maybe it was like 2003 or four was maybe maybe the first time that I came up here for some sort of event like and it was an like a first art event and um, it was either open studios or something like that down around that down around the Watchtower building right. over there right there's like that little enclave of sure. of artists and um, the feeling even then was oh oh my god this you know this whole area right here right along the river the exactly. south bronx it's so close to you know everything else that this is going to be like the next thing everyone's moving out of brooklyn and they're yeah. going to hit this yeah exactly. but uh has it gone as fast as everyone thought because it seems to have not it's not in some ways i think the bronx has resisted that kind of movement of like the like you know, the uh, casual uh, faux artist types who are just looking right. for loft spaces and everything. Well, it's a tough, you know, it's not, um, it's it's not Bushwick or Williamsburg. You know, you can't go and sort of hang out in, in a, in a, a faux loft and with a, and pay a, pay a big rent and then hang out at all these great cafes and you know stuff because there are no great cafes there are no there's no amenities in the Bronx you know there's um, that I know of there's not a single outdoor place in the entire South Bronx where you can sit and have a beer you know mm. and that's fine I'm not okay with that you know um, you're but not, you're not encouraging uh, hipster bars I'm to move not, in right no I mean what what will come will come you know and right. obviously developers are trying to um, jumpstart that process but. You know, it's still it's it's still a tough neighborhood, and uh, but uh, you know, this is something that I think the, the the artistic community, whatever that may be, is is struggling with, um, and the photography community. It, it's um, you know, there's this influx, and how much there's the Bronx has always turned over. You know, New York City's always turned over, but you know, who's to say uh, when it should stop? The problem, of course, is that a lot of it is driven by developers, and that gets um, you know, they're here to make money, and and that, that's as it is, but. Um, it, it raises all types of questions. Uh, right now, there's a big conversation going around what the role of the artist is. And some of the artists have begun to take, um, you know, money and sort of handouts from developers and do, do promotion, you know, promote events with developers and such. 
I think the photo community stayed clear of that. We certainly have. We don't do anything with developers. I mean, that's our policy. They do what they do, and we do what we do. The art, the artistic community is is grappling with this now because yeah, I, I think I remember there was some pushback from an installation or something that a couple yeah. of years ago, right, where it became clear that that was really that that's where all the money was coming from, and it was just right. part of this. Uh, I mean, they were so successful in Dumbo and doing that, right? Exactly. They gave all these spaces away for exactly. practically free to all these nonprofits, and exactly. you know, got all these people to come in there. And the next yeah. thing you know, you know, they're switching over to you know fancy furniture places and this and that. And then right. everyone got kicked out. Like, right, all those nonprofits had to find a new spot. You know, like all these things happen. Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, the artists become part of of the marketing plan for developers. And absolutely, um, and that's a fascinating thing to photograph. You know, I've been photographing some of that, and that's that's really been interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And just photographing, I've been doing a lot of portraits of, of Bronx residents, but also, um, you know, lots of sort of social landscapes. I, I usually go out early on Sunday morning when there's nobody around. Um, most of my photos don't have people in them. So um, looking at the way the, the architecture and, and the landscape is changing, you know, the physical landscape is changing. And it's really extraordinary. It's happening, you know, almost by the day. I imagine. Speaking of just... Uh Part of that process. So in 2011, that's when you uh, got this building to build this, or yeah, 2010. Yeah, 2010. yeah, we we opened up in 2011. Okay, so that we're you know we'll of course post pictures and uh, to the website, which has great photographs of the building as well. But a beautiful new website. Congratulations. Thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but even Bianca Farrow gets the credit for that. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, she did most of the work. <laughs> even just walking up the block, like this building, just sort of stands out on the corner. It's must have been right. something it was must have been something special even to begin with right it was yeah i mean it's um it was built in 1871 it's probably the i'm sure it's the oldest building in the neighborhood you know it's built on on top of a hill um when this was all farmland hmm. you'll see the streets run downhill in all directions it was built um by a guy from lower east side um, uh, a guy named jacob rupert there's another Jacob Rupert who owned the Yankees. It's not that Jacob Rupert. <laughs> but um, he, it was a German meeting hall uh, when this was a German, oh, okay. German neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Up until World War II, they did, you know, masses in, in German here at the mm-hmm. local church. So um, there was a huge German community here for a long time. You know, it was a meeting hall. It was a tavern. Um, and then, you know, it, it's been many things over the years. Um, you know, it's been a, a candy store. Um, it was a bit of a mob hangout. It's... Mm-hmm. Uh, was the first soul, Black Soul record store in the Bronx, I was told. Um, and then in the 80s and 90s, it was actually the center for uh, the drug trade, drugs and prostitution in the neighborhood. So, Wow. Yeah. And, and I think I read when you, when you did buy it, it had been abandoned? It was abandoned for about 15 years, yeah, before I bought mm. it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we could, we could back up then a little bit. The, I, I had also read that, you know, the, the whole genesis of this is, you know, you were a, a, con- a conflict photographer Mm-hmm. Friends with Tim Hetherington, Heather right. Hetherington, Hetherington, right? Um, and you had agreed to do something like this together. Exactly. Yeah, um, we we were roommates and friends for a number of years. Um, I met him. We were on opposite sides, covering opposite sides of the war in Liberia in two thousand three, and so we met after that war ended. And we, we, you know, lived together and, and traveled and brainstormed. And um, we we're both interested in education. You know, we we're both interested in, um, I think, uh, you know, just teaching other photographers everywhere you go. You'd find these like eager young uh, men and women that were really hungry and loved photography and loved what it was that we did and really didn't have a pathway to it. 
I think, um, you know, informally we both did a lot of training of young photographers. Um, sometimes, you know, giving equipment or leave, leaving, you know, gear behind, things like that. And But there was this idea that, you know, also education, of course, is, and photo education in particular has uh, gotten so expensive and it's unfortunately become a very elite thing, which is, I yes. think, the opposite of what it should be. You know, it should really be. Um, to me, it's sort of the ultimate democratic medium. That's what I love about it. Um, and it's about conveying information for for everybody, you know, for, for the common person. Um, but I've, we felt like there had become this um, sort of, I would say, um, financial obstacle, you know, for a lot of a lot of people to get a decent education. So um, there was this idea that we, we could we could basically have a place where there was free classes, um, gallery space, and we could show uh, the type of work that we cared about, which we also didn't feel like was getting shown. You know, a lot of the work that you see is shown is in a gallery in Chelsea where they have to pay, you know, twenty five, thirty thousand dollars a month rent, you know. So what they're showing is dictated by again commercial interests. So um, we, we felt like there should be a place that was that was non commercial and showed important work and did education uh, for people who didn't have a lot of money. And then um uh, Tim Hetherington dies in 2000. Yeah, in the spring of 2011. Okay. Um, he came, we spent time, I got the building. Um, we came and kind of planned it out. And um, he he made that last trip to Libya and was killed. Mm. Yeah. So. Also, I, di- I didn't realize you had already, um, you already had the building at that point. I did, right? yeah. So yeah. it was well yeah. underway. Yeah, it was yeah. well underway. We also looked at it and said, you know, this is kind of crazy. We don't have the money for this. Mm. Maybe we should wait. You know, what do you think we should do? And he went to Libya. Mm. And um, it was after his death that a few friends came to me. Um, I think I was in a bit of shock. I, we all were. And said, you know, you know, you know exactly what you have to do, right? And I was kind of in a fog. I was, ah, what are you talking about? I have no idea what I have to do. And they said, you've got to open up that place that you and Tim were talking about. And that, that really became, um, we had the empty storefront. You know, Tim and I had, had sat in the storefront and discussed it, and that, that became the catalyst. Um, I had a few credit cards. Um, you know, there were two ways to go. Some people said, well, you could write grants for a few years and start saving up money and... Um, we had a couple of meetings and people said, you know, this is crazy. You're never going to do photography in the South Bronx. Nobody's going to come to this. This isn't going to work. Um, and I realized that also I'm a journalist, you know, I'm not a grant writer. So <laughs> I, I realized I, that what we had to do was to just do it, just get it up there. You know, I had a background in um, carpentry and construction. Um, I know how to print. I know how to, you know, build a space. Um, we got a bunch of volunteers and we, we did it. And um, we showed Tim's work. We got Tim's film back from Libya. You know, some of the roles were covered in blood. Mm-hmm. We um, we developed that film, and uh, and uh, we made an exhibition of his work. And you know, I think six hundred people came to that opening. I mean, the whole street was full of people. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was sort of proof of concept. It was like, okay, you know what? People want to see this, and they want to see it here, and they're going to come. Mm-hmm. And that's important. Yeah, and there's a, a shrine dedicated to Tim. Yeah, downstairs. Yeah, 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 yeah a small shrine. Hmm. Yeah, we try to, um, you know, we we don't spend our whole year talking about Tim with our students, but we talk right. about Tim and we, you know, we carry on, I think, in his memory to some degree and the things that were important to him. Um, he was, you know, not just a photographer, he was a lot more than a photographer. Um, and he was, um, you know, he used the tools at his disposal. He was a storyteller, 
Um, he loved photography, but if you could tell the story with a video camera, with multimedia, with an art installation, with the written word, he used it or he mixed it with his photography. And that's um, something that we've always found interesting. And, um, you know, Tim was fully engaged with the world. You know, that, that was really the thing. He was, uh, he was fascinated and was just exploring the world all the time, um, I think in a very humanistic way. And that's something that we try to push. To my knowledge, um, at least in recent memory, I can't think of uh, anyone else in his position that uh, got so much attention. At, like so many people in different parts of right. you know, the communities were affected by his death. And, uh, right. you know, I mean, I'm sure since 2011, many other people have been killed. You know, journalists right. and photojournalists have been killed. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. there was something about his death that like just... Right. went through every, everyone was like kind of shocked um yeah i uh, maybe because you know his name had become known through uh you know the films and everything else but something about it it just he really it struck a chord with everyone right yeah i, I think there were a couple things i think one is just that he was a hell of a nice guy you know mm. he was really i never heard him say a word about anybody a bad word i never heard him you know gossip i never heard him i mean the guy was just relentlessly positive and um generous mm. and you'd hear that again and again and um, I think the other thing is that he was doing innovative work that I honestly don't believe is equal today. You know, I think if you look at the range of what he did, if you look at, I mean, he probably, he made what, f- from my mind, is the greatest war documentary ever made, uh, Restrepo, you know, just absolutely top level, uh, you know, Oscar nominated war documentary. I think um, if you look at Infidels, his book on Afghanistan, if you look at, uh, Long story, bit by bit, the Liberia book. You know, they're, these are groundbreaking works. They're not just another photo book. Uh, I think he did installations. He did an incredible installation of sleeping soldiers. I know very few people have seen it. His his family doesn't want it shown unless it can be replicated as Tim designed it, and that's very difficult. So, mm. yeah, it's three three large panels. And uh, but if you've seen that, that's a life changing mm. piece of art, just absolutely extraordinary. Mm. And um, so. I think I think people were, were I think Tim was leading the way forward creatively, and he was also thinking about the role of the media, the role of photography. Um, how, you know, I mean, we basically are living and have lived in an extraordinary time where you know a a, a medium or an oppressed model that has been around for a couple hundred years is, is disintegrating in front of us, mm-hmm. and the role of photography in particular is is you know, just changing overnight, you know, from, from this somewhat refined thing where, you know, there were a, a, a handful of photojournalists that sort of flew around the world and, and um, told people how it was to this, in a way, this incredibly democratic thing where everybody has a camera now. It, it, it's incredibly democratic. On the other hand, it's also, you know, um, as, Tim, as Tim liked to point out, Flickr is not um, a great repository of images. It's a trash bin of people's, you know, sort of to treat us photos that they don't care about. So if it cuts both ways, complicated conversation, but Tim was interested in that conversation. Yeah. And even now with, uh, of course, like the disintegration, as you're saying with, you know, newspapers and everyone else letting go, you know, even free, even like for a while it was like, okay, now everyone's freelance. And then now even that's right. going away. And, uh, I think the, I think the New York times is about to like, get rid of most of their picture editors. I mean, right. just things are just getting, and then at the same time, you've got it on the, 
on the other side where, uh, you know, this idea of like embedding photographers and kind of like trying to control the message a little bit about who, who has access to what and who can right. get in to see what images can be seen. Of course, you know, everyone was talking about how we weren't seeing the flag drape caskets coming right. back, but there was so much else that in the American press we never see as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, even the European press. I know there's things that, that get out there. I think people have pointed out, I mean, I, 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 spent a number of years doing a book on, on the war in Iraq and, um, and it really started as a, as a book about censorship, you know, and how images were controlled. Uh, and so I, I totally agree. I mean, um, for many years, they, photographers were not allowed to photograph funerals at Arlington, you know, National right. Cemetery, even if the family wanted them there. And I found that extraordinary. You know, even if the family invited them and wanted the sacrifice of their sons and daughters documented, the, the policy was no pictures of these coffins. So that was pretty extraordinary. But, you know, I would point out that the Europeans sort of took a certain type of perverse pride in publishing whatever gory pictures they could of American war dead and, and flag draped. Uh, coffins, you know, um, the, the burials, anything they could get. But they actually have much stricter censorship. Certainly the Germans, the French, the British have much, much stricter censorship than um, than the Americans. It's probably similar to um, World War One, World War Two. You were you were only allowed to show the dead bodies of foreign soldiers. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We found that to be true. So in 2011, when this opened, was, did you, were you was that the end of your photographic career? Is like, being a stringer or going out and and photographing overseas or it was a few things i tried to keep doing some conflict photography i think i did one i did a trip to iraq i did we kind of run ran out of money and i did something i I said i'd never do which is I, i went back to afghanistan partly for the money you know which was um really stupid and i regret that because you know when when you get killed or you get your legs blown off for you know, for a $400 a day, you know, it's, it's not, um, it's just a really bad idea. You know, you have to go, I, I did it, you know, I did conflict photography for a lot of years because I felt that it was worth getting killed for, you know, and I knew that I could get killed. I knew I, I could get maimed. I, I lost most of my friends, you know, and, and it was sort of, um, I felt like it was this higher calling, but when you start going back for the money, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a couple last trips and then my heart wasn't in it anymore. I also felt, you know, I remember very clearly um, doing photojournalism from from Liberia, from the Congo, from Iraq in the early years with, you know, w- with Chris, Chris Andros or Tim or any number of other people. And those pictures made a difference. I mean, we actually saw there was actually, you know, a, a cause and effect. The pictures would be published. You know, the UN would hold a Security Council hearing. Um, there would be a huge uproar. It was... And, and you said, okay, uh, you know, we're going through extraordinary things to get these photos, but it's worth it because something is happening. And I think by like the late 2000s, 2009, 2010, 2011, I was publishing these photos and there was no reaction at all. Mm. You know, in the early years, you'd get a picture on the front page of, of the New York Times or Time Magazine or Newsweek. And, you know, there, it, there was an immediate reaction by by the late 2000s. Uh, I don't think anybody knew it was on the cover of the New York Times right. anymore. Right. I would think I would talk to people and they wouldn't even, you know, you, you could have a big spread inside the paper. Nobody even was aware of it. And it might be on the website, but 
on the website, it would be there. And if, if there was breaking news, then it would get bumped off the website or it would be rele relegated to some inside page. And I stopped, I stopped seeing the type of cause and effect. You know, I stopped seeing photojournalism having the effect that I wanted it to have. And I decided that wasn't worth getting killed for. And that was when I stopped doing the coverage. Yeah, our, the American attention turned so much to just politics, pure politics, shortly after Barack Obama was elected president. And and there was such war fatigue. Um, you know, editors made the choice, this isn't going to sell newspapers. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Incredible war fatigue. And um, Yeah, I mean, the fact that basically it's, I think this is an unprecedented uh, series of time in this country of how long we've been in constant conflict. And, you right. know, and for most people, it's like post-mission accomplished. It's like a right. distant memory, right? Absolutely. I mean, we've been in Afghanistan for 16 I mean, I was there in 2001. And we're still there, so that's that's going on 16, 17 years now. And I think the American public still has no idea what's going on in Afghanistan. They don't. Yeah. I, I doubt one American in 50 could tell you anything about the Taliban, under, uh, tell you anything about the role of Pakistan in, in, in destabilization, uh, you know, any number of other issues. Um, could, yeah. You know, most people don't know Sunni from Shia. You know, they, right. they, don't, they don't know the first thing about the Middle East or about Iraq, and we've been there for more than a decade. Right. So. We had um, Andre Leon on as a guest, and I learned more from his Facebook feed right. than I do from reading newspapers about what's going on. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it tells yeah. you a lot. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's scary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not sure what the answer is. I don't have the mm -hmm. answer, but I, I think um, for me, the, the answer became to do education and get young people involved and um, teach them to do like real in-depth sort of exploratory and investigative work. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're doing at the BDC. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it seems from reading people's bios on the website and everything, it seemed like by 2003, you really had had like a core team together of people who had been volunteering here for a number of years. Oh, by and, 2013? Oh yes. 13. Sorry. Yeah. By 2013, uh, that you had a core group together had been come through here, volunteered, did stuff. And now we're, you know, part of making you, uh, making everything a success. And, yeah. uh, I think you know, there's often people get an idea like, Oh, wouldn't it be great to do something like this and don't realize just how much work it is going to be and how much you have to right. sacrifice to put it together. And, um, right. it's very clear. Yeah. You know, I, I, I see things go by on your Instagram feed and Facebook and, uh, that there's just an incredible amount of energy and, and, and professionalism even to it. Like you guys are dedicated, but also dedicated to the idea of making it seem uh, important. Mm -hmm. I think that it has to be, especially in the Bronx, you know, it has to be done well. Like we, we don't do anything any less than Soho or Chelsea or Manhattan or anywhere else. You know, it's like if we put a show up, that work has to be, you know, world-class work that will stand up anywhere and has to be presented in a way that's every bit as good, you know, or better than what they're doing somewhere else. I think that's part of it. Yeah, because um, there's a there's a there's like a lower expectation. It's like, oh, I'm going to go see this in the Bronx, and oh yeah, it's pretty much yeah, it's, you know, it's not as professional or it's not as right. Oh, they're closed today because they couldn't get someone to show up, or right. you know, there's such exactly. lower expectations. Yeah. yeah, there are, and there shouldn't be. You know, there mm -hmm. shouldn't be. Um, I think I just think that we have to keep the bar high. There's no reason, you know, especially for the Bronx, especially for people in the community and kids in the community that take pride in this place. You know, um, they need to come in and realize that 
you know, there's no reason we should accept anything second rate because we're in the Bronx. You know, there's no reason at all. Right. We're citizens. You know, we pay our taxes. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so so we're 20 minutes from Midtown. So what? Right. Why should we I, be doing something at a, a second a secondary level? I'm I, running a, a photo gallery in Trenton now for my college. And by the way, this is a complete inspiration for me. But, um, you know, the, I, I, I come across that, you know, oh, could you just give this person a show? You know, they helped us with this. They helped us with that. I said, I'm, I'm actually trying to create a professional gallery right. here. And it's, exactly. it's a constant battle. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is. You've got to, you've got to keep the level high. Um, I think, you know, I went to an, a Bronx institution that I won't name, but they have a lot of funding. And um, we put up, I went to help a friend out. We put up photos in this long sort of gallery and they only had lights for half the, the lights went halfway down the wall and then they just stopped and i said what 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 and i said this whole this whole end of the gallery is is dark and they said yeah we don't we don't have any lights for that part of the gallery you know you know and this is a, this is a place who has a budget you know mm-hmm. but they have just been getting by like that for a while and they just thought well no one called them on it yeah it's right. good enough you know but it's a, it's right. a lack of respect for the work um, that's really the thing you really have to show the work has to be, it has to be lit well, it has to be framed well. You've got to show that work respect. You know, people spent years making this work. This is work that can really change people's opinions and minds about things and create conversations. And you, you've got to, if you don't put that work out at the highest level, it's not going to get the respect that it deserves. Mm-hmm. I also think anybody who's um, thinking about starting a, a, you know, a nonprofit photo space or, um, you know, I would just say it's 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 70 hours a week, 80 hours a week, but it can be done. You know, it can be done. I think there's a unique set of characteristics that we have here in our volunteers that have allowed us to to do this. You know, we you know, you need somebody who can do graphic design. You need you need a volunteer who can do social media. You know, you need a volunteer um you know who who can help teach or has a teaching background. You know to to get started, you've got to you've got to show these things. Um, I come from a construction background, so right. I built stuff. You mm-hmm. know, and we, you actually you need to build a lot of stuff. Yes, you know you better have some volunteers <laughs> who can build stuff because that's part of it. You mm-hmm. know, so you've got to assemble this team, but it it can be done. There's a, what's what I find extraordinary is that you know sometimes we get down and pessimistic about you know America and about, but there's so many good people out there that want to help. There are so many people like ready to roll up their sleeves and dive in, mm-hmm. but they need, you know, they need structure and direction. Yeah. They, they need, uh, they need to be working towards something. I, I, I don't even think we should limit it to saying the Bronx. It's even, you know, there's a number of, uh, I've been to a number of nonprofit art spaces or camera club spaces or things like that, where you can sort of tell that just enough effort was put in to be able to put up a show of their work once or something, you know, right. and then after that, you know, they take their clip lights home or, or whatever, or, right. or even just, uh, you know, even while we were waiting for you, I was sitting there in the downstairs and looking through what was laid out on the desk and, you know, looking at the, you know, beautiful cards for the show and, right. you know, just everything about it. Um, yeah. Like you said, there's a great respect for, for the artist and for the medium and everything mm-hmm. else. And so, People can tell if you're not taking the work seriously, yeah, and not treating treating the artist seriously. So uh, you grew up in Maine, mostly, yeah, oh, mostly. Okay, yeah, I lived there off and on until I was about sixteen. Oh, okay. Yeah. And what did your folks do? My mother was a photographer very briefly. Yeah, she did it for a couple of years, and that was sort of where I got my inspiration. She was a lifelong, you know, alcoholic and drug addict, actually, mm. and she went through a period in the late '60s. She kind of cleaned up. Um, she did 
did some work. Uh, she got on with the main times as a freelancer. She learned to photograph, um, develop film. And at one point she talked her way into um, the state mental institution, which was called Pineland and did this expose of people like chained to the floor and, mm-hmm. um, you know, going hungry and laying in pools of urine and mm, like um, Kitikut follies kind of. Yeah, mm-hmm. very much so. And they actually, um, it, it, it did create, it created an uproar. And they actually um, changed the laws in the state of Maine regarding the care, the developmentally disabled. That was that, you know, that that stayed with me. And then after that, she kind of flamed out and never took any more pictures, you know, mm-hmm. um, which was a shame. Um, did, did that affect her, you think? Or was were there longer running issues? I think there were longer running issues. Yeah, it's hard to say. There were, I think there were long. I, I really don't know. I was mm-hmm. six, seven years old, you know, mm-hmm. but... Just after she did that, she quit and never, never, never photographed again, which was a real shame. But that, it provided this model for you. It, yeah. Exactly. It provided a model. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really provided a model for me. I saw it and said, oh, this is, this is incredible. You know, mm-hmm. this, is, this is powerful. This, this changes, changes lives. Yeah. Um, never forgot it. So did you go to Parsons then specifically for their photojournalist program? Or? Yeah, I mean, I finished high school. I had a kid um i worked as a mechanic for a few years built transmissions and kind of thought i would be a mechanic forever but was always out photographing on the weekends and nights Mm -hmm. and such and just um at a certain point i kind of said this is you know i've only got one life and what i really love is photography i did a year at parsons i saved up some money did a year at parsons my money ran out i dropped out you know after the first year but Mm -hmm. it was enough you know it was enough It, it especially if if you've you know, never heard of, you know, Gary Winogrand or Nan Golden or, you know, Lee Friedlander or, you know, you, Robert Frank, you know, you come to New York, it's, it's, it's an experience, mm-hmm. you know, it opens up your mind. It's okay. So I, I only did one year of a four year program, but okay. it, it gets you started, you know, mm-hmm. you, you discover, you discover people, you go to the library, um, you make friends with other photographers who teach you, yeah, I had a not exact same experience, but I went to the School of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. Right. And uh, after the first year, I got a job in the photo stock room, like their stock room giving out right. equipment and everything. And that, by the end of the second year, I realized that I had learned more just by being in the equipment room and handing stuff out and like spending you know, that, that I didn't need to, is like, right. I, I dropped out after the second year. Same right. reason, like money, I couldn't yeah. afford it, but yeah. You know, if you have the hunger and the drive for it, you're like, oh, I can, like, I'm sitting here with these four by five cameras and no one's around. I feel, you know, running paper through, figuring things out. And, uh, exactly. I I mean, it matches up with a certain personality type, I guess, but it it was very, it's very satisfying to like realize, okay. I remember reading Buckminster Fuller, uh, you know, Bucky Fuller, right? He, he was, he dropped out of Harvard. He was very frustrated with standard education that's at a certain pace. And then he, he spent some time uh, in the Navy, just, he wasn't like, I don't know if he was enlisted, but he was in the Navy briefly, and he loved that because it was like, at the pace of the knowledge you needed to know, there was all the information, you go and you grabbed it, and then you immediately were applying it. Right. Yeah, you immediately <laughs> did it, you were applying it to something. Yeah, right. yeah. And, uh, it's can do. I, th- I think yeah. there is something about like, if you're, I was coming from a small town in North Carolina, and if you're not exposed to things, you don't even know where to look, but then once you get pushed in like it opens up for you enough then you can you go for it right and i imagine that's sort of what you hope to be doing here at the bdc we're very hands-on you know there's no there's no degrees there's no um you know no certificates i mean we've given certificates to our 12 year olds who finish a program (laughs) but you know we we want them to feel a sense of accomplishment but um you know we're not uh sometimes um 
people take me to task because they feel like there's an undercurrent of, you know, like anti, I would say there's an anti-elitism here. And I think particularly as it pertains to the art world, you know, which, which I feel is, has become totally divorced from what's really important in this country and what people need in their lives. I think we're, we're, not, we're anti-commercial, you know, to some degree. We, we try to be not about money. It doesn't, you know, in particular, we're, we're aggressively trying to promote photographers and, and include photographers who can't afford an education elsewhere. But um, I think some of that um, uh, shows up in your nomenclature, the, the photo league, maybe. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We you started the, the Bronx Photo League and the Bronx Junior Photo League. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the photo league was, was a place where, you know, working class photographers and factory workers and such could go after work. And, and they went because they love photography, not because they were trying to get rich or famous. Most of the, those names are completely forgotten. But they went out and they shot photographs because they loved it. And they actually did incredible work, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of, you know, the ethos of what we do. So maybe you could just run us through all of the main things that you do offer here, besides the exhibitions, uh, and then you've got the the two leagues that we just mentioned, and what else uh, could people come here for? Well, that we should also, you know, that, so the Bronx Photo League is for adults, and the Junior Photo League is for, for teens, correct? Or Teens, yes, 12 to 18. Okay, yeah. yeah middle yeah. school and high schoolers. Yeah, well, maybe talk about those two a little bit. Right. Well, the um, the the photo league, the Bronx Photo League, started as a sort of informal Friday night hangout. What we found is that people started coming in the door, young photographers, usually in their twenties, and they'd say, you know, I I love photography and I go out and I shoot all the time, but I thought I was the only photographer in the Bronx. I've never uh, met another photographer. Uh, you know, I thought I was the only one out taking pictures, <laughs> and. After like four or five of these people came in, you know, we kind of said, well, we need to, we all need to get together here. You know, let's, um, so we started doing a Friday night, a Friday night hangout, um, started very, you know, bring, bring some photos to look at. Um, we've got a projector or we'll look at them on the table if you've got prints and, um, you know, we'd get sort of beer and pizza and just hang out. And, um, that, that slowly grew into, you know, tw- 20 or so students that were coming regularly. Um, and we started doing real trainings and getting, you know, everybody from like, uh, you know, Eugene Richards to, you know, editors of the New York Times would come up and, and do, uh, you know, talks and slideshows and such. So it became mm. a real a real training program. And then we decided to formalize it. Um, and it became uh, the Bronx Photo League. And we've now, we're on our third book project. We've done, um, you know, a lot of exhibitions. We mostly focus on long-term projects. We're, we're now focused on NYCHA, um, on um, the New York City Housing Authority up at Claremont, which is one of the, the densest concentrations of uh, 17,000 people living in about I don't know, six square blocks. Mm. So it's one of the densest concentrations of housing in the United States with, you know, with enormous challenges and obstacles. And we're, we're looking and also successes. So we're looking at all that. But we've got about 15 photographers from the Bronx Photo League working on that. It's a long term project. We'll be on it for probably most of the year. And our commitment is always that we do the exhibition in the community where we photograph. Mm-hmm. So we're not taking it downtown. Right. It's here. Um, we always we always show it here. We show it in schools. We show it in hallways. We just did a big um, exhibition down at uh, the housing projects, N- Mitchell Houses down the street. And, you know, we, we did all the photos on, on vinyl banners and put them out in the courtyards. And people said, oh, it won't last won't even last the night. You know, that was what people said. It's oh, not going to last the night. That, that people will attack you. you know, yeah. Take people, it down yeah. or graffiti. Or, right. Yeah. It was, it was up for two weeks. And when uh, some of the pieces were damaged by wind, the residents went out and took string and tape yeah. and put them back together for us. There are those low expectations, right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. People want, people want public art, you know, and they want, they want to see documentary art. They want to see things that represent their communities. Mm. 
And then from that sprang the uh, Junior League? The Junior League, yeah. We, um, we Again, we started uh, an after-school program. We had a lot of kids hanging around. And in the beginning, at least, you know, and still today, I mean, partly they come in because it's a safe space and they're being encouraged. There's um, shockingly few after-school programs. Um, there's almost no sports programs. There's no music programs. Um, mm. If you look at the schools in the Bronx, it's... it's, it's um, there's sort of an educational segregation that's that's pretty alarming. I'm surprised it's even legal. I suspect right. I suspect it's not legal, but mm-hmm. um, we had kids coming in immediately as soon as we opened the door, just coming in to hang out, curious about what we were doing, and so we put together a class with seven kids. That's now uh, up to 28 kids, and in September I think we'll have almost 50 kids in our after-school program. Wow! Yeah. Wow. And really? you know the the New York Times said it's the best the best uh, teenage photography program they've ever seen. Mm-hmm. The, our kids have twice now represented the United States in a, a, a photo festival in Japan. They're, you know, we're, we're opening up a lot of uh, opportunities. We take, they go up to Maine every year for a workshop. Um, two of them have scholarships to the Maine photo workshop this year. Um, so they'll be going up there. That's uh, great. Yeah. And, um, but we basically, we basically focus on documentary work here in the neighborhood. So they're, this year we focused on immigration. We sort of chucked after Trump was elected and, and even during the campaign, we sort of, cast aside our, our whole uh, plan for the year because all of our kids are from immigrant families and there was um, such an attack on immigration that we decided to sort of throw out the curriculum and, and focus in on uh, immigration. So they interviewed immigrants in the neighborhood, family members, um, and both did photos, did, did multimedia pieces, did interviews. We spent a lot of time on interview techniques and oral history. And um, yeah, they, they did a, a pretty astonishing hmm. piece. Are you teaching the interview techniques and all? Do you have other people? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I teach the high school class. Um, mm. Myself and uh, Groana Melendez, we teach the high school class with help from a number of people, Jess Kirkham, um, John Santiago, and Bianca Ferro is really our education director. She came in here as an intern probably four years ago, and mm. she, she really, really runs this place. She's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> do you do the uh, FBI techniques of mirroring and empathy and all those? <laughs> <laughs> I don't go that far, quite, right. but, but we do. It's they're, a, they're useful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll have, maybe we'll have to include that in our, <laughs> in our... But, you know, you take you take a 12, 13-year-old kid, you know, they're not used to talking to people. Right. You know, they're not used to talking to adults. They're not used to... So it's a big deal to go up to someone and introduce yourself and talk about what you're doing. And um, you see them gaining confidence. That's that's that's, great. that's a big part of it. They're, yeah. They can speak in front of a, a crowd. They can approach someone and, and say, hey, uh, can I take your photo? This is what I'm doing. This is why I want to take your photo. And and that's that's a beautiful thing to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes that's all you need is the uh, to have a reason that you can articulate, even right. even even if just to give some reason, and that's enough to like start the conversation, have the confidence to go forward. With exactly. It. I mean, you know, I run into that all the time with students who in my photo two class are trying to work on longer term projects. And they're like, well, you know, I, how do I even approach these people? Well, right. I was like, just tell them the truth. Tell them why you want to go right. up to them. Tell them, you know, that why and just, you know, use the excuse if you have to that you're in a class, whatever you need to do. But right. just start speaking to them. And Break then, the ice. Yeah. Don't bullshit. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'll Break. find out soon enough. <laughs> yeah. And breaks down those barriers. Right? Yeah, yeah. Completely. Completely. Okay. So I think in some ways we have an advantage that we're in the Bronx because actually people in the Bronx are super friendly. Mm-hmm. You know, people are shocked to hear that, but um, because the Bronx still has that reputation from the seventies, but people are very friendly and like to talk. And there's a street culture here. I mean, there's people totally. out on the street. 
all the time. Yeah, all the that's, time. That makes yeah. a big difference too. It's super easy to approach people. We also, you know, it's it's uh, we're we're approaching people we know. You know, the kids are the kids are approaching people that they walk by every day. You know, they're approaching the guy, the Yemeni guy who works in the bodega where they you know buy a egg and cheese sandwich every morning. You know, it's like they they know these people, and that makes a big difference. Working in your own community is interesting. You also get immediate feedback if people don't like what you do. <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. They also feel free to <laughs> engage you. That's yeah. right. Yeah. You don't have the safety of like rushing off to show your pictures right. in, in Manhattan. You know, it's like it's right here. And people come and say, oh, I don't like that picture you took of me. You know, so. Um, and then, uh, so uh, Kai had asked, uh, started a question earlier that, that I, I caught up a little bit, but uh, what were some, uh, some of the other programs then that you do here? Well, we'll do... We'll do about 10 exhibitions a year. We'll do a lot of public programs. We're doing more. We're hiring a full-time uh, programming person. So we'll show about probably 25 or 30 um, documentary films. Wow. Um, and we're trying, to, we're trying to do a lot more slideshows because um, we're trying to create what we call the emergency series where somebody's coming, Tyler Hicks is coming back into town from Syria or somebody's coming from somewhere. We just grab and say, Hey, come to the BDC tomorrow night or next week and just do an impromptu slideshow. Don't, don't organize it. Don't think about it. Just come show us what you just saw. Mm. We've done some of that. We're trying to do more of that. And um, I would say it's mostly, yeah, a lot of uh, video and uh, photo screenings. We're trying to start a uh, possibly a reading series of, of people who are writing, documentary oh, writers, wow. yeah. um, especially long-form journalism. We've done a little bit of that. We're trying to do more. Right now we've got what I think is the, the best, the, probably the only free photographic library in New York City. Mm. So you have to call and make an appointment. You can't take books out, but if you make an appointment, you can come and stay and sit for hours. We've got about we've got Tim Hetherington's books, and then we've added to that. So very nice. Yeah, yeah we're sitting yeah. in that room right now, and uh, as soon as we yeah. walked in, I was immediately <laughs> like just struck by how yeah. amazing floor to ceiling yeah. collection. Yeah, and there's a lot of out of print books, a lot of rare books, mm. a lot of books that you can't find elsewhere. So um, it's a chance to really sit with these books. And is that your helmet up there? That's Tim's helmet. That's Tim's helmet, of yeah, course. Yeah, we've of got yeah. Tim's helmet, and that's his flak jack down in the corner here. Oh wow! So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's Tim's flak jacket right. there. Mm. So um, we've got those things. And uh, we're doing, yeah, we've got mostly the education programs. Um, that's really most of it. You know, it's, yeah. it's mostly we're focused on education around the clock. Um, and that actually, to be honest with you, as the education has grown, we've um, had to shrink down a little bit. We used to do more exhibitions, and I think we were cranking out more stuff. But we have such a demand for the education that... Um, We've we've moved shifted our focus a little bit. We still have you know galleries uh, shows exhibitions in the gallery you know all year round, but um, we've scaled back a little bit until mm. until we get a programming person. Oh oh, so that was actually going to be my next question is, you know, who's picking the shows? How is how are they? What's the process? Is it committee? Is it you have a, a board here, right? We have and, a board of directors. They right. don't they don't pick the shows. They mm-hmm. do sometimes send us ideas, which which we which mm-hmm. we take, yeah, which yeah. we take, but. Um, I think it's, um, you know, we program an interesting mix of um, Bronx stuff and international stuff, you know. So we've had, you know, Stephanie Sinclair. We've had Eugene Richards. We've had, um, you know, big name world, world-class photographers. We also program really great Bronx photographers and, and try to mix it up. I think our number one rule is that no matter who the person is, the work has to be relevant to people's lives in this community. Right. So, you know, if we're even if we're doing something on the war in Afghanistan, then we'll we'll bring in 
vets who fought in Afghanistan from the Bronx, you know, um, and, and have them discuss their experiences. Um, you know, we, we make everything relevant. If we can't make it relevant, um, and, you know, it, it can be tricky because sometimes you want to do something on the Arctic and, you know, the, the polar ice caps. And, of course, that does affect people in this community, but you have to think about how it affects them. And you have to really work at it and explain to people why it's important and why they should come see this work. So um, we've had, I think we've had about 25,000 students come through here on class visits. Mm. So we have, we have class visits all the time, sometimes, you know, many in multiples in a day. Mm. And it's, it's a way for them to learn about issues that are happening all over the world through photography. Mm. And they tell us this, you know, they'll, they'll come in and see work on, um, we, we did uh, Kadir's show, Kadir Van Lohizen's show on, uh, on immigration or Stephanie Sinclair's show or whatever it is. And, you know, they come and they say, this is the stuff we don't learn in school. You know, they, they, oh, yeah. we hear this all the time mm-hmm. from, from teenagers say, I, they're not teaching us this in school. You know, they're not, you're, you're, you're showing them something on, on the war in Syria, on, um, ma- you know, immigration to Europe and, and the crisis and all these things. And they're saying, oh, I don't know about this. This is the first I'm hearing about this. And that's what photography should do. Yeah. So if, um, if someone wanted to bring up their class. Oh, yeah. You just call up and... Just call up. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get you in here anytime, whether we're open or not. It can be yeah. at night. It can be weekends. We're well, always here. I run a, a documentary photo class. And Kai, you have a... a doc, what is it called? Doc, digital documentary. Digital documentary. And yeah, right. that'd be great. Yeah. Hmm. No, we'd love to have classes come. And and then you have a, an imprint we saw on the front desk. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're um, we're... Doing book book publishing on a very small scale. <laughs> We've only published one book so far, but okay. uh, we have high hopes. So this, yeah. this uh, New York City this uh, project that we're doing on the Bronx the Bronx housing projects that'll be our second our second book. So yeah, we um, you know again it's kind of our our philosophy is we try to do everything here. You know, we we build our own frames. We you know we mount, we print, we print wow. all the shows. You know, we have a dark room. We we, you know, run our own film, make our own prints. We do everything in-house. And um, we also wanted to print our own book. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we we found that there was a, you know, people said, well, you can send the book to China. You know, I was like, well, I don't want to send the book to China. You know, I want to go on press and learn how this is done and use this as a learning experience for our designers. And so we did that. We found a small press in upstate New York, mm-hmm. um, Fort Orange Press, which, which has been there for, I think, 150 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard and, of those guys. Yeah. yeah. And you can go there and they will you know, literally print every single page with you and adjust it as you want, um, which is a great experience. So, yeah, Yeah, that's incredible. Just shift gears just a little bit as I, I spent some time on your website in the last week just to, uh, you know, come up to speed on, get a little bit of your background. And um, I was remembering our conversation that we had with Andre Leon. At the time he was back in Brazil and he was sort of, I think he was at a period of, you know, fatigue from being yes. in all these conflicts and, uh, you know, not sure if he wanted to go back to it and, uh, he has gone back to it since then, but, but just looking through your various bodies of work that you have, the portfolios you have published on your website alone. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just wonder how, how does one, we're, we're, we're so isolated here. And, you know, like even people talk about, the Bronx or anywhere is being like, you know, dangerous or this or that. There's, you know, we don't have bodies floating down the rivers and we don't have, you know, we're not really surrounded by it. So it's it's hard. I'm not sure exactly how to formulate the question, but just basically given the light of that, that you were in all these places and saw all these things, is it, was it hard to not 
have your uh, sense of of who humanity is just like curdled in a way like is it how hard was it to stay positive and like and move forward and is being here part of your answer to that i'm wondering i think i think so you know i think you um you know i think if you're covering conflict unfortunately you know there, there's always there's always some wonderful civilian who like runs out and risks his life to drag somebody to safety, you know, or, you know, there's always like scenes of incredible sort of kindness and, and heroism in these zones. But for the most part, they're like pretty unremitting. You know, it's, it's a horror show out there. You know, it's really, you look at what um, men to, men do to each other over, over nothing, you know, over like the nothing. It's just amazing how people find ways to split themselves up, you know? You know, Iraq was, you know, the whole Sunni Shia thing was just amazing to watch. It was like people who live next to each other, they speak the same language, they've been intermarrying, they have the same religion, and yet they would find a way to, you know, or politicians would find a way to, you know, basically divide people. Had never been divided in this way, you know, or didn't need to be divided. And you see that in country after country. You see it in this country to some degree now. You know, yeah. I think we're seeing it. I think there's just incredible divisions. And uh, I think, you know, to some degree, you know, the BDC for me is sort of a way for me to restore my sanity. You know, you come, you... you I, I think working with kids is amazing. You know, we've got 13, 14, 15-year-old kids that just knock your socks off, just smart, mm -hmm. curious, hardworking, um, go out and take great photos. You know, they they want to learn... They're here, you know, we've, the program is two days a week. Well, they, they come the other three days on their own. You know, is there anything I can do? Can I, can I print photos? Can I borrow a camera? Can I go out and shoot? You know, um, they do it because they love it. And I think that's, it sort of restores your faith a little bit. Photography is magic. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's magic and it's, it's just, you know, it, it has incredible and really unparalleled power to, you know, to really, to really sort of represent and, and define people and communities and individuals and uh and kids see that and they want they want to do that you know they want to be part of that that's that's a great thing mm -hmm. so i can't i can't really work out the, the war in afghanistan but um i can't i'm not gonna figure out the uh the stroke of genius that's gonna bring that to an end but uh you're not gonna solve the sunni shia divide <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. no 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 but uh but the, there's some great kids out there. Mm -hmm. And you do, you know, you see, again, I'm bragging a little bit, but you see, they'll tell you and their parents will tell you, they'll, you know, they'll tell you, wow, this, this changed your life. You know, we, we had, we had a, well, probably one of our most middle class families, actually, you know, this, this is probably the only kid we have from like an upper middle class family. Her mother said, this kid goes to a good school downtown. She said, my kid learned more in this program than in three years of high school. <laughs> <You know? laughs> she said, you know, they're, they're, they're still teaching her to memorize stuff. But here she's like exploring stuff. She, she's investigating stuff. Um, so That's great. Yeah. And it's not just the BDC. You know, it can be anywhere. You know, it, it's not just. But it's why we need more programs like this. And, I'm, you know, frankly, I mean, if we're talking about documentary photography, I'm shocked at how little there is out there. I really am. It's, it's shocking because what we do doesn't cost that much money. It's not, I'm not, we haven't invented anything special here. It's a gallery space where you put together shows about important, important social, social documentary projects. You're showing documentary film. It doesn't cost a lot of money. Most, most filmmakers give us the rights for free. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got 
65 folding plastic chairs. <laughs> Nothing complicated about that, you know. You put together a team of volunteers, you know, you put together a, a fairly, um, you know, simple after-school program dedicated with some really dedicated teachers. It's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. It should be happening all over this country, mm-hmm. you know. You said you had a darkroom. Are you doing both film and digital work here? Both, yeah. yeah. We shoot a lot of film. We shoot a lot of film, partly because I push it, because I believe in it, you know. I taught it. Columbia, you know, J school for a while. And um, the end of the first year there, there was a, a student who'd made a lot of progress. And then on the last day, she was shooting digitally. Everything was digital. And I had been through everything and explained how light entered the camera and apertures and shutter speeds. But at the end, like the last day of class, she came up to me and she said, I just have one question. I said, what's that? She said, I don't understand how it all works. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then after that, I realized, you know what? They have to shoot film. They have to go in the, even if it's just once, you know, they've got to shoot something with a Hasselblad or a five by six, four by five camera, you know, that you have to. That's when you understand the process. Because otherwise, it's gotten so easy. You know, it's just, it's a computer with the lens attached. You press the button, you get these these great photos. And then you stick it back into a computer which reinterpolates it and, you know, spits it back out. You know, the, I'm sorry. I, I know I sound like a Luddite, Lud- but no, not the computer's no. doing yeah. 80% of the work for you. No, you know? we, we both work at, at colleges that are committed to still... Good. Having students shoot film because it's it's Good. it's not only just the best way to learn the the mechanics of it, but just to slow down and really look at the photos. Thank and you. All of that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. We've yeah. got we've got uh, st- uh, Nile is one of our students. This kid will shoot go out and take three, four, five hundred digital photos. Good photographer, but shoots way too much. <laughs> we gave her a, a, a twin lens Rolleiflex with twelve pictures. She spent the whole afternoon <laughs> taking those twelve pictures. Whole afternoon, mm-hmm. you know, it was. She thought about every single frame. It was like, what's the right angle, and is the light right? And she took her light mm-hmm. readings, and and she loved it. You know, yeah. she loved it, and it's a very different experience. Yeah, and on the other end, when you get back to the dark room, there's also that that experience, which is not can't be replicated by seeing it instantly on the screen. I mean, this no, and no. it I, then it changes as just like you're describing with her. It just changes the way that you go out and photograph later because it's uh, it's that part of that feedback and the the realization that something else is going to come of it, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There's also delayed gratification, which I think is important. Um, and I think you have to put more into it. And I think that's fine. I believe in, in sacrifice. I believe in working harder on stuff. And the other thing that we see all the time is um, kids who grow up in front of computers and don't have a lot of common sense and don't have any ability to work with their hands. Hmm. And partly because I come out of a, a manual labor background, I think it's, we see kids who I think really um, enjoy and really learn something from working with their hands, from developing film and actually taking a roll of film out of the canister and saying, Hey, I did this. I actually did this with my hands. You know, I'm going to put this negative in the enlarger and I'm going to make this physical print with my hands. That has real value. That's not a small thing. Now there's an irony about, uh, you know, when everyone quotes the age of mechanical reproduction and all this stuff about, and we've talked about this before is how, a black and white print coming out of the darkroom is a handmade object. I mean, it's, it is, it is a handmade it object. Is. It's, you know, it is it's very, yeah. very different experience. Uh, I've been over the last week and a half, I've been trying to catch up on work prints. And so I've been, you know, and I've just been watching the pile of prints go higher and higher after days yeah. and days in the darkroom. And 
it's exhausting, but also very satisfying, just like anything where you're, you're yeah. working and making something, right? There's a satisfaction there. I'm sure the same as uh, rebuilding somebody's transmission. Yeah. It's, uh, usually. Yeah. It's, it's so, important. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's that Crawford book, uh, Shopcraft is Soulcraft. Yeah. I don't know. That's yeah. a great book. Yeah, it's a yeah. great book. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah. yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm we're not going to like bring the jobs back from China single-handedly right. and reinvent you know, the Industrial Revolution, but, yeah. but you can actually... You know, teach a kid to work in the darkroom and, and shoot film, and they get something out of that. There's no doubt about it. Our kids come back again and again. They want to shoot film. Nice. That tells you something. Yeah. You know, we say, well, here, here's a digital camera. No, no, I want to shoot film. Mm-hmm. We also did a, a talk with this uh, man, Justin Waldinger, who runs Tap and Die. He makes these beautiful camera straps. And right. uh, he, same sort of thing. He was like, he was doing, uh, I think, design work at an ad agency or something. He just wanted to get back to making something physical. And his uh, his whole studio is probably about the size of your library here, but he had right. you know just the right workbench. He had right. just the right leather <laughs> working tools. He had you know worked it all out, and uh, he's in there with a chalkboard writing out what he has to make every day oh, yeah, and just cool. like going through it. And cool. uh, yeah, he makes lists and spreads them out, and everything is yeah everything nice. is very manual. Yes, love it. Yeah, it's cool. very satisfying to see that come together. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. mentioned Columbia. I also noticed that uh, there's that uh, Revson Fellowship. Did, yeah. Was that a good experience? Or I've I know a couple of people who who went who I, said they got that. Or. Yeah, I missed most of it because I went. I got that. I got that fellowship in 2001, and then okay. the first week of class was 9/11. Oh, um, yeah. I got on a plane, went to Afghanistan and um, Pakistan and Afghanistan, and uh, I missed most of the year, mm. and then came back. Um, Okay, so that was before here. I was wondering because I know yeah. they try to like they. I think they're part of their goal is to identify people who are making a difference in the right. in New York. So I thought, oh, maybe this was something you got after you opened the BDC. Right. No. No. That was yeah. That was long ago. And I I didn't again. I I, I missed most of it. So I can't. I I thought it was a good thing. You know. I remember thinking, okay, you're. Because, you know, sometimes you work, you're isolated, and you, you come together with a group of people, and you go, go into this academic program. But to be honest with you, I mean, really, academia is not really for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've just, it's kind of, I mean, it depends on what you consider academia. Yeah. Right. right. You know, I would say theory is not for me. I'm not a th- theoretical, and, and some, some people are highly theoretical, and I just, I was like, oh, this isn't really my thing. I'm not, <laughs> I'm sure it's fascinating, but right. I, I'm, I like to make stuff. You I know? got that sense when you were on the panel at SVA, that there was right. something much more nuts and bolts about what you wanted to talk about. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. I, don't, I don't remember what I said, <laughs> but okay. No, I have no idea what that was. We were was. talking about the community and the kids and, and, yeah. the, and the space and all that. Yeah. 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 Look, what people want, you know, People want to learn. People want to live in a safe community, which is something that we've spent a lot of time on, you know. But people want a place to come together and, and, and have community and, and, and eat together and talk. And, you know, I mean, you know, if you go out and you talk to people on the street, you know, it's not, it's not about a high theory. It's like, let's go out and talk to people on the street. What do you want, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, again, we're, we're a photo gallery, but probably the number one thing that people want is safety in this community, you know. And we've you know, outside of our, um, we, we, we do create a safe space. We are an anchor of sorts. You know, we, we, people have faith in the community because we're here. You know, they say, oh, this is, that, that there can be a gallery. And that the other night we had an opening, 150 people with, you know, this Nigerian photographer, you know, and everything is lovely. People are friendly. Everybody's welcome. Everybody comes. I think that restores people's faith that um, we, we can do things here. 
I think if you're doing any type of community-based work, and especially I think with documentary photography, and yeah. you know, we, I think we do have commitments to working in communities, and I think you got to go out and talk to the community and don't come in with the, these preconceived ideas. You know? Yeah, you know, you, you mentioned earlier the kind of the magic of photography, and I, I think you're also speaking to a, a therapeutic uh, effect as well. And I, I'm not saying it's therapy, but but I you know I teach at a community college down in Mercer County, and and I know I teach photography, but a lot of the times what I really feel like I'm teaching is first you know how to learn, but also how to appreciate, and also right. take you know, have some respect in yourself that, that you should, that you should expect yourself to make good work. Right. right. As opposed to people who've let you, you know, get away with this or get away with that for most of your life. Right. And, you know, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You, know, you know, you should expect it of yourself. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, is there anything coming up uh, at the BDC that you'd like us to make people aware of? I mean, we'll definitely link to the website obviously, and yeah. people will be able to come up and see what shows are coming up. But is there anything planned for like anything coming up in the fall specifically that we should, uh, that you'd like people to know about? We're going to do, um, we'll be showing Joe Rodriguez's work from East Harlem in the fall, mm-hmm. I think in October, but you have to, people have to stay tuned on our website for that. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a great show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's going to be a really good show. Uh, do you try to do artist talks or anything along with the shows? Do you have yeah. people come up? We have a bunch of, um, We've got a bunch of events coming up with um, the current show, Osaratin's show. Um, there's going to be an artist talk coming up. Um, we've actually, we're going to do a sort of an African-themed street fair because Osaratin's Nigerian. So um, we'll have st- our street closed off on August 5th. And so we'll have um, food. We'll have a bunch of photo-based sort of, you know, making pinhole cameras, doing cyanotypes. Oh, nice. um, we'll have a photo booth, you know, <laughs> things like that. So And if people want to sort of get on your mail list and... Is it yeah. do that online? Yeah. yeah. Best thing to do is just go to bronxdoc.org and there's a link right there. You can sign up. Great. Well, thank you very much. It's been really? a pleasure. Yeah. Thank, thanks yeah. for having me. Thank you, Michael. Bye, everyone. Bye.